Amen. You can be seated, church. Good morning and welcome to Next Community Church. My name is Joe, one of the pastors here. If this is your first time with us, we want to welcome you. I want to say thanks so much for being here. We pray that you feel welcomed and uh, loved here. Know how much God loves you. We're honored that you're here. And uh, if there's a way that we can connect with you, serve you, help you, bless you, uh, we'd love to do that. Let us know. There's a card right in front of your seat there. Fill that out if you would. And we've got a gift we want to give to you after the service. Just bring it up to the front desk there. And um, we want to say good morning and welcome to you. And, and good morning to everybody else. Good morning to those of you online. Happy Fourth of July weekend to you. Um, the weekend where we celebrate the birth of our nation, becoming independent, and walking in freedom. <clears throat> Which, do you know where freedom? Do you know where freedom originated with? Yeah, God, the, our Father is the author and inventor of freedom. Um, I believe that that is very much God's heart. That that freedom is um, on the heart of God. That He is the Creator, the author of it. Even way back in the in the Garden with our parents, Adam and Eve, He put them in the Garden, and He He made them to be free. And He said, "You can do whatever you want, except." Just not that one thing, but everything else is okay. Just that one thing, right? Freedom is the, is the heart of God. Um, I'm going to read you a bunch of scriptures, and it ties in with where we're at here in our series in 1 Thessalonians. It has to, has to do with God's heart for freedom. Most of these scriptures have to do with spiritual freedom, that we're, we're no longer um, a, a slave to sin and no longer relating to God by rules and regulations and the Old Testament law, but now that we walk in a spiritual freedom. But it, it just goes to show that um, I believe that freedom is still the heart of God. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, and so when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you are walking with the Holy Spirit, as you're walking with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit leads you, there is there's freedom. Where the Spirit is, there, there is freedom. Galatians 5, verses 1 and verse 13 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is talking from a spiritual sense of, of taking on a bunch of rules and regulations and thinking that the way that God is pleased with you is obeying the law. It's like, no, 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 you're, you're free to enjoy God in a relationship, not in a, a law sense, but in a relational sense. And then verse 13 says, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but rather serve one another. So your freedom isn't about you. It's really about God making you free to love him and to love others. First Peter chapter 2 says, submit as free people. How's that for an oxymoron? Submit as a free person. Not using your freedom, again, as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Continuing on with the oxymoron theme. You're a free person who's, man, you belong to the Lord. And then James chapter 1. The one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, James calls it, and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word who, who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. The law of freedom. And so all of that to say... That's God's heart. I believe that with everything within me because of what Scripture says. And it fits incredibly well this weekend with our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're just joining us, we've been journeying through the New Testament letter of 1 Thessalonians, and we come to this part of the end of chapter 4 where Paul gives four very specific, practical, and I think timely instructions to the church on how to live in your freedom, right? And so I'm gonna, we're going to read the passage. It's only four verses. We're going to read the passage and then we'll go back and we'll take it a verse at a time. We'll kind of pick it apart, look at some Greek words. We'll geek out a little bit this morning and hope to have you encouraged and challenged with living out these four instructions, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're in verse 9, says this. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this towards all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. Macedonia is, is northern Greece. He says, you guys are doing this. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. Keep on loving each other. Like, you don't get to a point where you're like, all right, I've loved enough. I'm done. No, he's like, no, no, you're doing it. You're doing well. But I want you to keep on doing this loving one another thing. And then he drops three new little commands in verse 11 to them. Also, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Did you know that was in the Bible? <laughs> How many times have you said that in your life? Or maybe it's been said to you in your life. Hey, mind your own business, right? Or as we used to say when we were kids, mind your own beeswax, right? Mind your own, I don't know where that came from, but mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Verse 12, this is important. So that all of this, right? Your, your freedom in Christ with these commands on how to live results in so that for the purpose of, he says, that you might behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. In other words, it matters to God how his people act because the outsiders are looking at what's going on with the insiders. It matters. And so, yeah, you're free to relate to God and to be free from the bounds of, uh, of relating to God through just rituals and rules and regulations and some dead religiosity stuff. Now you have Jesus in your life that made you alive and you're free under God. But listen, here's how you've got to live because there's a whole bunch of people on the outside that are watching you and you represent me to them down here. And so I want you to keep this in mind. We're going to talk about these four instructions that he gives in these four verses. But I want you to keep in mind this last verse. I want you to keep in mind the so that. All of this is given as instructions with the result of the outside world will see what's going on on the inside and be like, I, I want that. I'm attracted to that. I want what's going on here. So... Um, I think this passage is incredibly timely, to be honest with you, with what's going on in our world and our culture. And, um, and I think it would be easy. I know what we're going to talk about. You don't know yet. I think it would be easy to dismiss certain things that we're going to talk about today um, based upon perhaps 
your personality type, based upon your opinion of things in the world, based upon your upbringing, I think it would be easy, frankly, to, to kind of just skirt around some of this stuff. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I want to pause and pray, and I want to, um, I'm just going to ask that you would be willing to bring your head and your heart open before the Lord. And say, and I'm, I'm not going to try and convince you or twist your arm. I'm going to teach what I believe the scriptures are saying here. And, and then I want you to wrestle with God. I want you to wrestle with the scriptures and say, what does this look like in my life? Right? I tell you, every week you should leave here and go, so what? So what do I do now? So what does this mean for me? So what do I need to change? So what does this look like for my life? And so I, I think this one today is really important because of where we're at in this time in history and what's going on, that the church needs to be the church now more than ever before. And so this is, this is a passage all about the church. This is Paul writing to them, telling them how on the inside to be the church because it matters to those on the outside. So can we pray? Can I invite you just to close your eyes and bow your heads and um, kind of just... I'm going to lead you through a couple things. I'll be quiet. I'll say something. I'll be quiet. I'll say something. I'll be quiet. So just, can you just say, all right, God, in your own words, I'm going to give you my head and my heart this morning. Go ahead and do that in your own words. I'm going to open my head and my heart to you this morning. And God, I want you to expose all of my biases all of my prejudices, all of my preconceived ideas that do not line up with your scripture. Would you pray that to him? God, expose wrong thinking in me. Expose wrong beliefs in me. Expose wrong actions and behaviors in me. Lord, I want to submit to you today. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to be holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go back four verses. Let's take them one at a time. Let's pick them apart a little bit, unpack them here a little bit and see what's going on. Verse nine, back to verse nine, it says this, about brotherly love. You don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Interesting thing. He said, I don't need to write this all over again because you even, you have a better teacher than me, Paul's saying. You're being taught by God. They're going to say, how, is, how are they being taught by God? Well, we kind of just did that little exercise. The Holy Spirit, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've said yes to Jesus Christ, you've placed your faith in Jesus, here's what happens. It's unbelievable. You give him all of your sins, past, present, and future. He takes, he's died for them on the cross, and then he gives you his positional righteousness so that before God, you are positionally holy. It's a great transaction that takes place. And then the, the Father gives you the Holy Spirit that while we're down here, to help you to live out that holy position that you have before the Father. The Holy Spirit's job is to make you holy. And so Jesus said some shocking words to the disciples. Spent three years with them every day, 
a three-year missions trip with them, walking around, sleeping under the stars at night, teaching them, doing miracles, three, every day with them for three years. And then they got to the end, and they were incredibly close. You know how you are with, with you, you go on a, a week trip with somebody. You can bond together. Three years together. And Jesus says, all right, guys, gather around. I'm going to tell you some good news for you. I'm going away. I'm like, what? And Jesus is like, it's better for you that I leave, because when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And that's better. And so what Jesus says, for, for people that are walking on this earth, it's actually better to have the Holy Spirit in each one of you than have one physical Jesus here around you. And so what does it look like then to walk with the Holy Spirit that Jesus said he's your comforter, your counselor, your guide, your teacher, your convictor. He's your, your, your personal holy guide that is with you all the time. And this is what Paul's saying. He is going to help you be like the Father, who is love. So you've got God as your teacher. I don't need to write all these things to you. He says in verse 10, if you can go forward verse 10, it says, in fact, you, you guys are already doing this. He says, you're already loving the brothers and the sisters all around the entire of Macedonia. You guys are doing a great job. Macedonia, I said, it was all northern Greece. It was, a, it was a region. It was a territory. This is Thessalonica is a city. So it would, it would be like us. Man, you guys, next community church, you're killing it. You're knocking it out. You're doing a great job loving people. It, you're loving all of southeastern Pennsylvania. You guys are just loving this whole area. You're doing a great job. And then he says this, but I, I want to encourage you to keep doing it more. Do it even more and more. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep doing it more and more. That's, that's what he says here. But he, he, he uses some interesting words. If, if I can ask you to go back a slide to verse 9. When he says here, um, uh, go back one more. Or, or, yeah, yeah, there we go. Thanks. About, about brotherly love. Um, he, he, uses, he uses a Greek word here that all of you know, whether you know it or not. You all know at least one Greek word. Um, it was on the slide there that, that went up. Uh, did you see it? The, the answers got revealed to the test before the, the teacher asked the question on the test. The, 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 slide, the, the word is what? Philadelphia. That's the actual Greek word. Phila, phileo is brotherly love. And, and so Delphia is, is brother. Adelphos is brother. And so Philadelphia is literally the city of brotherly love. And so it was a word that in, in classical Greek, it literally meant love between siblings, between brothers and blood brothers, blood sisters, right? Siblings. That's what the word literally meant. And then New Testament comes along, Christianity comes along, and it, and, it, and it morphs and gets adopted into the church in Christianity to mean brothers and sisters in God who have the same family, so that makes us brothers and sisters. And so when the church demonstrates and exhibits love, brotherly love for one another, sisterly love for one another, it's called Philadelphia. Love for one another inside the church. And, and so he says, about this kind of love, I, I don't need to write to you. You guys have God who's the father over this family. He's teaching you all how to do this. And, and then he says this, you're taught by God to love one another. Which is interesting because he uses a different Greek word for love. Now you can jump forward two slides if you would for me to that one. Yeah. So it, it's actually the, the second time, it's actually the Greek word agape, which is that Greek word which means it's an unconditional love. It's the love that God 
loves you with. Not conditions, not like metrics put on it like, hey, if you do this and if you be good, then I'll love you. But when you're bad, I'm not going to. No, no, no. That's not agape. Agape love is unconditional, self-sacrificing, no matter what, I'm going to love you. And that's the love that God loves us. And we talked about this two weeks ago. We talked about how it's impossible for you to love without you first receiving love. The agape love of God, that you learn to sit with God, and he pours his agape love in you and on you and over you, that you are convinced and you know and you're walking in truth, I am loved by God. He can't love me any less and he can't love me any more. And what a joy it is to go through life knowing that you're loved by the most important person that could ever love you. And so when you receive that and you know that and you believe that and you walk in that, you can then do that kind of love with others. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying in order for you to really do the brotherly sister Philadelphia kind of love together, you have to know how to receive the agape love from God. The more that you know that you're agape loved, the more that you're going to be able to do the brother and sister love. And, and so, church, this is, this is the command to us as the church. Love one another, church. Love every single person in the family of God. Do this more and more, Paul says. And so um, my question for you is, what does that look like? And how are you doing with that? And, and what would it look like for you to truly love one another? Now, I have an answer for that question, and I think God gave us the answer to that question. And, and luckily for us, God gave us 59 different living applications of what it looks like to love one another in the church. We put on your chairs this morning this little piece of paper that says to 59 one another's that I am going to encourage you to, don't start reading yet, stay with me, we're going to read them all together, right? So just listen to me, don't check out for a second. I, I want you to keep this, I want you to see it every day, I want you to put it on your fridge, put it on your mirror, put it on your dresser, put it in your car, put it someplace where you're going to see it every day. Because this, the, 50, the one another's, just about every single one of them is written for the church to be with the church and how you're supposed to interact together. And just about every single one of them is in the Greek form, uh, in the imperative. In other words, it's a, they're commands. They're in the imperative form. So not suggestions, not if you feel like it. It's like, hey, do this, be this to one another. And so 59 different verses on how to really flesh out this concept of loving one another. And so how do you do this? How do you love one another? You do these things. We're going to read them together. All 59 of them. All right? So I say together, I'll read them for you. You follow along with me, okay? Because I, I, I want you to see, and honestly, I want you to be a little bit overwhelmed with the picture that the Bible paints of what it looks like to really love one another. And then I want you to, by faith, start stepping into these things. All right, number one, here we go. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another. They're in no particular order except the way that they occur in the order of the New Testament. So you notice the first one is Mark 9. 
um, they just go, we just go, went through the Bible and picked out all the one another's to the last one, which is in Second or First Peter. Okay, so that's the order they're in, the way that they occur. Wash one another's feet. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. I don't like that one too much. Because I don't like my food getting cold, you know what I'm saying? So get to the table, let's go. Verse number, number 11, have equal concern for each other. 12 and 13, both, again, greet one another with a holy kiss. That was just the way that they were welcome one another and embrace one and show love. It's our, it's our good, firm, look you in the eye, handshake, like hug, how you doing, right? That's what, how they greeted one another back then. 14, serve one another in love. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you'll be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let that come out of you, the Bible come out of you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to each other. Teach one another. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Twice, encourage each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And then 48 through 59, nine more times, it says to love one another throughout the New Testament. And so, church, do that. Be this, every single one of them, I think, is a living illustration of what it looks like for you and I to Philadelphia each other, to brotherly, sisterly love one another. We live out these things. And what will happen when we do that? Well, let me quote Jesus. What will happen when we do that? He said this in John chapter 13. He said, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I've loved you, you are also to love one another. And then he said this in verse 35, the next verse. By this, everyone will know that you're 
my disciples, if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're a follower of me, that you're a student of me, that you belong. That's what a disciple is, is, is a, somebody who's under and someone who's following and somebody who's kind of uh, in the same school of and mentored by. And, and so the world will know Jesus by the way that the Jesus followers love one another. That's what Jesus said. Then everyone will know that you're of me. We bear the name of Christ when you call yourself Christian. We are little Jesuses. We are to be. We're left here on this earth to be Jesus to this world. And Jesus said, the way that the world will see it is the way that my people love each other. The way that we live out these things. And Paul said to the Thessalonian church, you guys are doing great. Keep doing it more and more. And next community church, I want to encourage you. Keep doing it more and more. This is serious stuff, I believe, in this time, in our world, in this season that we're in. That we make sure that our love for one another is real and fresh and current and not fake, and it looks like this. So please take this. Please put it somewhere where you see it and remind it. Pray over it. Say, God, help me with these things. Probably God already, we read through, how many did I read through? 48 of them. So there's probably 47 of them. There's probably some that God was just like, mm, poke, mm, poke, mm, poke, that you're like, mm, mm, mm. Maybe even certain situations or certain things came to mind that you say, I got I to gotta, I gotta do something with that one. I got to fix that. I got something to correct here. That's what love would do. And then Paul gives three more little, short, without explanation commands. I told you there's four in this passage. Here's the first one. Love each other. Brotherly love. Philadelphia love. And then in verse 11, he gives three more little practical commands. Seek to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. And to work with your own hands as we have commanded you. Right? These three little timely, practical instructions. Let's, let's talk about each one. And let's flesh it out a little bit. What does this look like? Let's talk about the first one. Let's talk about seek to lead a quiet life. Right? Seek to lead a quiet life. That's the first instruction Paul says. What does that look like? What does it look like? For us as a church, this is the command in the Bible, seek to lead a quiet life. So what, is it, what does it look like to lead a quiet life? Well, in order to lead a quiet life, you'd have to first answer the question is, what is a quiet life? What's the definition of a quiet life? Who gets to define that? Answer, I'd say the Bible. And so I looked it up, and I'm going to read to you what those words, quiet life, meant in the original language. Okay, Here's what it means. The idea behind these biblical words is this, one that is able to keep silent, to keep quiet, to say nothing, to hold one's peace. That's the idea behind the word, seek to lead a quiet life, quiet life, hold one's peace. It's, it's somebody that's not always stirring the pot and instigating, throwing in little things that kind of just create Chaos. It's the opposite of quiet. It creates storms. 
You're always around conflict. It kind of just follows you. You create drama. If you find yourself always in drama, maybe you are the drama queen, right, of it all. You're the starter and the instigator of it, right? This verse is saying you got to figure out how to not be that and do that. Seek to lead a, a quiet life. Again, this is important. Uh, this command is given, remember, all of this is given with a so that. It's given with a so that you behave properly with the outsiders. Remember, right? So you got to keep the result in mind that Paul's saying. So his first instruction is, hey, church, you got to figure out how to lead a quiet life so that the outsiders see you. What does that look like? Right? And why is Paul saying this to the, to the Thessalonian church? Here's, here's the leading theory, what most um, scholars and theologians believe, even why he's given these three very unique instructions. You know, we've talked about this. In 1 Thessalonians, there is a lot of um, teaching about the second coming of Christ, about end time stuff, about the rapture. As a matter of fact, next week, the chapter five begins it, or the end of chapter four, rather, begins it and into all five. So the next three weeks, it's going to be all end time stuff. And every chapter ends with a mention of the second coming of Jesus, who is coming back. And so here's, here's through reverse reading, here's what scholars today think was happening. Because Paul was giving them instructions about the return of Christ, that a lot of the church quit their jobs. They, they believed it. They took it serious, literally serious. Christ was coming back, and they thought really soon. So they stopped working. And they went out into the world, into the marketplace, into the workplace, into their villages, into their community, and started telling people, Jesus is coming back, and you better, you better repent, and you better stop, or, or you're going to, right? And, and so Paul, now a couple hundred miles away, is writing them back and saying, listen, you, you got to be you, you got to be careful how you act outside. Here's the first thing I want to tell you to do is you, you, you got to lead a, a quiet life. You're, you're, you're out there and you're acting kind of crazy. And it's not, it's, it's like, I want you to think about what it would look like to lead a quiet life. And, and so we, we wouldn't do that today, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't go out into the world and, and be so kind of like amped up about that and tell people that they're, wrong and sinning and burning and going. We, we wouldn't do that, would we? Oh, wait a minute. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit. Nobody in here. I, I don't think this, I didn't take this and skip back, but. <clears throat> and this exists very much so today, and this is the picture that the, much of the outside community has of the inside community, even though we say, well, that's not us, that's not us. I don't pretend to be a, a scholar in Greek, but when I look up lead a quiet life, I don't think those pictures are it. I think if Paul were to see this stuff today, he would write the same thing to them and say, you guys are missing it, what it's about. I think that's the opposite of leading a quiet life. And I know what they're, I know they think they're doing well. I know we, we, we sometimes think that we're, we're, we're standing and we're fighting and we're doing well. 
But this is why, this is why it is important to not cherry pick scriptures and why you have to understand the whole counsel of God and all of the word of God. And you have to not just treat God like a smorgasbord or treat the word of God like, like, like where you're going to pick and choose certain things that you like and that fit you, fit your upbringing, fit your personality, fit your pre-existing belief system that kind of just reinforces the way that you feel anyway. We can do that. And then we've kind of made God fit into how we're kind of thinking, feeling, believing, wanting to be. And this is why you've got to decide early on that you're not going to stand in judgment over the word of God, but you're going to sit in submission under the word of God, the whole counsel of God, and wrestle through this verse. Seek to lead a quiet life. What does that look like? And so not only that, but... But when you look at the verse again, it says, seek to lead a quiet life, which is a very interesting word. It's not just try and do this. It is like you're going to have to really figure out how to lead a quiet life. It's interesting, different translations and how they translate that first word, seek. I'm reading out of the CSB this morning. Here's how the ESV translates it. Aspire to live quietly. Aspire. Like set that as your aspiration, something that you're chasing after. Here's how the New American Standard, which is the most literal translation there is out there, the New American Standard says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. It's, it should be your ambition in life, Scripture says, to lead a quiet life. And so we gotta, we got to wrestle through this and, I don't know, maybe be slower to speak, slower to, to post, slower to comment, and ask yourself the question, is this helping me lead a quiet life. Seek to lead a quiet life. And then Paul gives this second command that builds on the first one. And in, in back to verse 11, he says, seek to lead a quiet life. And then he says, and to mind your own business. Mind your own business. Oh, man. There's, I mean, what does that look like? Right, and and this is tricky a little bit for us as Christians because you know if I'm if I'm you I'm raising my hand saying yeah but wait a minute aren't we supposed to go out and and you're always saying we got to talk about Jesus and be salt and be light and make sure that we're sharing our faith and so how do I do that in my mind my own business right I think it's a great question um I I think there's so many different arenas that we can talk about. When it comes to minding our own business. Um, But I I think the thing that is doing so much damage um, in relationships with with people, friendships, co-workers, neighbors, family members, is the way that we are living our lives on social media. And, And what it is doing and how it is being used to actually just divide and bring division to to families and to neighbors and to co-workers, people in the church. I read this the other day. Um, Social media 
is destroying human interaction. Social media has conditioned us to think that every opinion needs to be shared. Did you hear that? I have a thought and I'm going to share it. Well, maybe you shouldn't. Ever think that? Maybe you should just mind your own beeswax and just shut up. I think Paul would say, seek to lead a quiet life. Stop throwing verbal bombs into conversations that stir the pot and create the opposite of quiet. Maybe you shouldn't. Let me finish reading this quote. Social media has conditioned us to think that every opinion needs to be shared, that online is the best place to discuss and debate these issues, and if we do disagree, then we can't be friends anymore. And I'm just like, yeah. We've got to not fall into this trap, right? We've got to learn to do these two little instructions Make it our ambition to seek to lead a quiet life and then mind your own business. You can scroll by without not commenting, right? You, you don't have to interject. And here's the, here's the whole thing. This is, this is Joe. This is my opinion. I, and, I, I, and I mean this in all seriousness. Come tell me if what I'm saying is you or you know somebody that's you. I do not know anybody in, in my 12 years of being on social media that has had their worldview changed, opinion changed, uh, switch sides of the argument from this side to this side because of a witty, snarky meme that was posted, or you read a, a comment and there's 78 comments and like you know you're going to click and you're like, oh, this is going to be good, right? Because you know. And you're reading all the comments and you I, I literally know nobody that has had their worldview or position changed because of an online debate or a meme that was posted. And if that's you, I, I genuinely want to know. Come up to me after service and be like, actually it was me. I want to know. I haven't met anybody. Instead, what I've seen is lots of anger, lots of unfriending, lots of broken relationships, lots of family members that don't even talk to each other anymore because we don't know how to seek to lead a quiet life and mind your own business. And this is what Paul's saying. And so what would that look like? What would that look like? Church, I just think we want to wrestle through this stuff a little bit. Verse 11, he finishes. He gives one more command. Let me finish up with this last one. He says, seek to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and then work with your own hands. Get a stinking job, he says. Right? <laughs> and, and, and so, again, here's, here's the idea of what the Thessalonians were doing. They quit their jobs, and they were going out, and they were being somewhat crazy billboard people, telling people the world's going to end, Jesus is coming back, you're going to burn it, like, right? And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Go back to work. Go get your job. And, and, and start figuring out how to love one another. Because listen, it matters what the outsiders think of the insiders. So you got to figure out, Thessalonians, how to lead a quiet life. You can, I can show you 30 different scriptures where Paul still talks about how to let your light shine and how to love the outsiders and how to be a witness to them and how to share your faith. and do. A, so he's not saying not to engage with the world, but he's saying the way that you do it, you've got to figure out how to do it in a way that outsiders see what's happening on the inside and say, that's different than what I expected. 
So he says, you guys got to work. You got you to gotta produce. That's, I think that's God's heart. I go back to the garden again. God made Adam and Eve. And he made Adam and Eve, and he gave them rule and dominion over the garden. He gave them a job to do over the garden, over the animals, and gave them a, I had a pastor that used to say, God made Adam from the dirt, brought him to the dirt in order to work the dirt. And, and so that, that, is, that is God stewarded, uh, gave the stewardship role of working to mankind. God worked. Right, The first six days, God set the pattern for us of, of work. He worked the first day he created. He created second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. Called it all, or fifth day, called it all good. Sixth day, he worked and he made us. He said, we're going to make man in our own image. And he called it very good. And then he rested on the seventh day to give us an example and a model and a template of what it means to to work. And we're made in his image. Christians should be the best employees there are out there. Christians. We should have the highest ethics and the highest standards. We should be the first to raise our hand to do that task, that job that nobody else on the team wants to do. But you're like, you know what? I'll serve. And you're like, no, you, you don't understand my environment. You don't understand my coworkers. You don't understand my boss. You're right, I don't. But I know we all got the same boss. We all ultimately have the same boss. You've got to get it in your mind that you're not just working for your boss. You've got a bigger boss. You've got a head boss. You've got a boss boss. And his name is God the Father. Colossians 3 says this, Whatever you do, whatever you do in work or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through. So whatever you do, recognize that you're not just working for your jerky boss, you're working for your father boss. And he's watching. And so as you work, you say, I'm doing it unto you, Lord. I'm working for you. I'm serving. So I'm going to work hard. I'm going to give my best. I'm not going to cut corners. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not just going to get by. We should be the best employees that there are out there. And so Paul tells the Thessalonians, get a job. And, and, and that fits today, right? Man, there's this mindset of entitlement. And I don't want to sound like a, I was going to say an older person. It's all relative, right? It's so funny. It's all relative. But, you know, some of our staff think I'm older because they're younger. And then some of you I look at and say, I'm pretty young. And so it's all relative. It's all Right, and it'll sound like an old person, right? But like this mindset of this participation trophy and this mindset of entitlement that's out there, and like, so, I, I, if, if that's you, like, we deserve this. We aren't. This is a right. We need this and this. It's like, you've got to work. That's I think that's the biblical perspective. God says, no work, produce. Now, some of you listen. You got to be careful. Work can be your idol, right? You, you, your, 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 your. Self-worth is based on your net worth. And so you work and you work and you work and it becomes an idol. And that's wrong too. So with all things, there's, there's balance in that. But that's another sermon for another day. So let me do this. Let's have the worship team come. And I, I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Jenna, can you throw up um, verse 12 for me again? Because I want, to see, I want you guys to see the result. All of this, all of this is so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders. That's God's word to the church. 
And those previous instructions, love one another, and then figure out what it looks like for you to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition. Seek, desire it. And then I need you to mind your own business. And I need you to work and work hard because they're watching. And they're watching to see what is going on in here and the people in here. And they're watching you. And so I, I, got, one, I got one last verse. I don't think you've ever read it before. It's in, a, it's in a new book of the Bible. Did you hear about it? It's called First Joe. First Joe, chapter 3. It's the last slide. There it is. Here it is. Here's what it says. Let me read it to you. We can't expect those on the outside to want to come here on the inside if it is just as unloving inside as it is on the outside, and sometimes even worse. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I knew you would get me. The rest of y'all need to be like, all right, I hear you. So come on, church. Let's figure this out. You got to wrestle with these passages. Don't blow this off. You got to wrestle with these instructions. What's it look like for you to seek to lead a quiet life, right? And not, some of you don't use this as an excuse to say, well, I knew it. I'm, I'm not going to talk about Jesus. I just, I just, I'm going to be quiet and I'm not going to open up. And I'm like, no, that's, that's wrong. That's not what this is saying. So each one, wrestle with this. What does this mean? What's it look like to love one another and live these commands out? Because we can, church, become a powerful witness of Jesus in the world. I think the world more than ever, they don't know it. They don't know it but they are searching for answers. They are searching for hope. They're searching for truth. They're searching for solutions. And we know it. We know it's Jesus who brings that inner peace, inner truth. We know the answer is Jesus. So let's make sure we represent him well here. So Father, we need your help because our flesh gets in the way so many times. So God, forgive us. Forgive us when we become a, a body of you that's here that is not a good representation of you here. God, help us with these instructions. Thanks that we have them. Show us how to, each one, I pray, God, you show each person in this room, what does this mean for their lives? And that we'd really wrestle through this. And God, we pray that we would be a church that continues to make you very real to those on the outside. I pray that we'd see ourselves as available vessels, people who are available to be used by the king to let everybody know how awesome our king is. God, I pray that we'd step into this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's